Hopefully you have the day off tomorrow for Labor Day. If not, go ahead and call your boss tomorrow morning and say, hey, it's okay, my pastor said I could take the day off. Just don't tell them what church the, the pastor is from. We'll be okay. Uh, but man, we're glad that you're here. I just want to echo the words that Michael had to say earlier. Uh, we had the Bloodhound Barbecue this past weekend. And, and I got to say, for those who are there, realize that uh, we learned what it means to have to be flexible. We showed up and the staff got there a little bit early and we showed up and we were ready to serve. We, we had Sonny's bringing all this food. It was going to be this awesome opportunity to serve. And we show up and we're greeted at the door by the cafeteria workers. And we walk up and they're like, hey, you know we have no power, right? I said, wait, what? <laughs> She's like, I'm like, like, no power in the cafeteria? She said, no, the whole campus has no power. It ends up a semi had taken out like a light pole or something. There was no power to the whole campus uh, for about half the night that we were there. It meant no AC, no lights, no anything. Uh, so we had to scramble real quick and come up with a way. How are we going to serve all of the teachers and, and their, their families and all the stuff that was happening? So I just want to say, uh, once again, our volunteers that were there, and for those who helped out in many different ways, just thank you for being flexible. We were able to still to get in there in cafeteria. We had enough light to be able to see. Eventually, about halfway through the night, the, the lights came on. And it was just a great chance. A couple of things we do during the barbecue. Number one, it gives us a chance to get to know some different people in our church. Uh, we have people come to the, from, to the first service that don't know people in the second service and vice versa. We have people that are coming, relatively new faces to Ridgepoint, who come and get plugged in. It's a great way to get, a chance to know, get to know each other. But also a great way to get to know people in the community. Uh, just being able to sit there and, and be engaged with, with teachers and, the, and their families and, and the staff. To be able to sit there as volunteers finished up serving, they would sit down and have, have dinner and talk to some of the teachers. It was really, really cool. So thank you for everyone who uh, took part and helped out in that. And one of the big things we do, one of the things I love to be a part of. This week, we're in week four of a series we're calling Why Behind the What? Why we do some of the things that we do here as a church. We call it a vision casting series. We talk about what we're doing, but not just what we're doing, but kind of the why behind the what. what are this, why are we doing some of these things? We've talked through some big topics. We've talked through international mission trips is a big deal here. Why do we do those? We talked about our strategy of reaching people, build and bring, and, and invite them to church, invite them to Jesus, talk about our faith. Uh, last week, we talked about groups. It's a big deal. We'll talk about that at the end as well. Today we go to something, and this isn't going to be like groundbreaking for a church. We're talking about children's ministry and student ministry. And if you go to just about every church, they have some level of children's ministry and student ministry. And so it's not like what we're doing is is groundbreaking in in that area. But I want to talk for a second about why we do those two key uh, key parts of what we do at Ridgepoint Church, why we do them the way we do them. You see, I I grew up going to church and, and... uh, sometimes churches that I was associated with, it wasn't that they have a negative view of, of children or youth. It was just kind of like, what's happening here, what's happening in the adult service, this is important. And so as long as kids aren't a distraction, then, then everything's okay. And, and kind of what happened in, in kids very often is it became a glorified babysitting service. As, as long as we're doing what we're doing in a proper way, that's never what kids' ministry is going to be about. And so today we're going to talk about why we do the things that we do in student ministry and and, in children's ministry. And for me, this is a really, really big deal. Because for 14 years, I was a youth pastor. For 14 years, I lived in this world. And this was a big deal to me. And I had a lot of people throughout those years who'd be like, J.J., how can you do that? Youth ministry, it's crazy. It's out there. Kids are insane. And sometimes that was true. But there's reason behind everything that we do. And, and for me, kind of that, that picture of, of why youth ministry is so crazy at times, uh, for me, the, the best story I could, I could come up with to encapsulate why student ministry is so crazy happened to me my first year as ever a youth pastor. I was, like, I was young. I was 22 or 23 years old. Um, my wife and I were newly married. I was working at a church. I had not really gone to a youth group going up, so I was kind of figuring out what youth group was supposed to be like. 
and we started a youth group from scratch. With, with they, had, they had no students. We started reaching out. And so at the time, we had basically a youth group made up of, of middle school students. It was almost all middle school students. And that summer, we took our first trip out of state. We went to camp up in Tennessee, and we were having a great time. We were away at camp. And Thursday of that week, uh, we had a chance to have an early release. You go out into the community and get to do some different things. So we signed up to go whitewater rafting. I'd seen videos of it. I'd seen pictures of it. I'm like, man, this is going to be cool. It all looks really, really cool. Let's go out and do whitewater rafting. And so we load the kids up on the van. We go to the whitewater rafting place. And the first thing they do, now mind you, I'm 22 or 23 years old, new youth pastor, first time on a big trip like this. And the first thing they do is they say, sir, we need you to come back here and sign these forms. So I go back there, and we had like the parental permission forms and all that. But then they had me go back, and I signed this waiver for our group. And basically, I'm skimming through this document, and basically it looked like it said, if anybody dies on this trip, we're not liable for that. And I said, whoa, hold on a second. What, what, what are we doing here? Let me go back and, and relook at this. So I said, I said okay, I got to sign this. And, and, and then we go out and they do a training with everybody. Has anybody been whitewater rafting? It's, it's kind of the training is, depending on where you go, it's a little bit intense. So we get out there and they start to do the training with us. And they say, there's a couple of things. You want to try to stay inside the boat. But if you fall out of the boat on the rapids, uh, make sure you do a couple of things. First of all, just around the boat, there's, there's a rope. It's, we call it the chicken strap. Make sure if you fall out of the boat, try as best you can to hold on to that chicken strap. So I said, all right, got it, chicken strap. He said, the second thing is if you fall out of the boat, make sure you, ha- you have a, your paddle. Don't let go of the paddle. You don't want to be without the paddle. I said, okay, got it, paddle. And the third thing is if you fall out of the boat, make sure as quickly as possible you eat your toes up out of the water because it's, it's very possible that if you try to stand up that your toes would get stuck and the water push you under and, you, and you'd be stuck underwater. So get your toes up out of the water. So I said, okay, I got it. Three things. Uh, I'm going to make sure chicken strap, I got that. I'm going to make sure toes up, I got that. The paddle, I don't really care about. Like, I don't know how, I don't need the paddle anymore. If I'm out of the boat, I want to get back in the boat. That's my main priority. So they go through the training. We, we get out there. Now, I didn't know this. We were going out on the Ocoee River up in Tennessee. I didn't know it at the time, but it was the river that, like, the Olympic whitewater rafting stuff took place. I mean, it's level four rapids. This thing is, is serious. So we get out on, on, on the river, and, and my, my whole goal is we, I have a group of middle school guys. My wife, Beth, is in the, in the next boat. She has a group of middle school girls. And my whole goal is, guys, just stay in the boat. If we stay in the boat, we're going to live. That's my whole goal is stay in the boat. And, and so we start paddling down the river, and, and we get these level four rapids, which are really serious. And as we get down the river, we get to the level four. We get through it. I'd look back, count the kids in my boat. Okay, we're good. Count the kids in Beth's boat. Okay, we're good. Let's go to the next one. And we went through this until the very last rapid. And our guide looks to these middle school guys. And he says, all right, guys, this is the last rapid. It's really serious. It's a level four rapid. Do you want to hit this rapid hard, or do you want to sit in a boat like a bunch of little girls? To a bunch of middle school guys, which, of course, they're going to respond because middle school guys don't think things through very clearly. They're going to respond and say, hit it hard, and they're all pumped up. And I'm like, no, let's just kind of sit in the boat. We're going to be good. Um, so, so we hit it hard, and, and I'll be convinced for the rest of my life that the guide was setting me up. See, he had me sitting in the front of the boat opposite him. I'm in the front left. He's in the back right. And so we're going down this rapid, and we're going down this rapid fast. Like, we're flying down this rapid, and we hit the bottom, and it's like we hit a brick wall. Like, we're flying, and we just stop. We're not going anywhere. And it felt like, in the split second that all this takes place, it felt like the boat is collapsing on me. 
Like all the pressures coming towards me. There's, there's this young kid. He's in sixth grade at the time. His name was, his name was John Shea. And, and John's next to me. Shea's next to me. And he comes flying across and he hits me. Like, like it was like a full-on wrestling crossbody block trying to knock me out of the boat. So I'm holding on. I'm making sure I'm holding on the chicken strap. I, I, I feel myself leaning out of the boat and the boat's starting to go underwater. And there's water rushing over and there's water now rushing in the boat. And, and it wouldn't have happened, but it felt like in this instance that the whole boat was taken on water. And if I don't go out, the whole boat's going to sink. And so because I'm, this is all happening so quickly, I make the split-second decision to just, like, do a backflip out of the boat. And so I, I lean back. I hold on to the rope. I do a backflip, making sure my toes land up, up. And somehow, miraculously, I hold on to the, to the paddle with the other hand. And, and, and so I'm laying outside the boat, holding myself as close to the boat as possible as we make it through the final part of the rapid. And then I said, uh-oh, it's getting worse. Because I'm, at the time, I'm really, really a big, big guy. And I got a boat full of middle school guys. And I'm like, I don't know how they're going to get me back up in the boat. Like, I'm a big guy. So, so at this point, I kind of pull myself back towards the boat. And I try to pull myself up, but it's, it's too much. The water's flowing still. And I'm trying to pull myself up, and I can't do it. All the middle school guys are, like, half-hearted trying as they crack up laughing at me. And, and the girls in the back boat, like, watching, laughing at me. And it's just, it's, it's terrible. And, and it's about to get worse Be, because, because the guy comes over and says, here, let me get him out. And, and they have a quick way of doing it. They grab your, the jacket and they, and they pull you up into the boat. Uh, only at, at this point, I've been, I've been reaching up trying to hold myself in the boat. And, and especially as a big guy, when you reach up, it makes your waist get real, a, whole, a whole lot smaller. Yeah. <laughs> so... So when the guide pulls, there's a lot of suction in the water. And so I'm, I'm holding on, and I, I feel him pulling me up, and I, I feel my shorts starting to drop. And, and, and I, in, this, in this split second, I, I have this picture of the whole trip. I see the middle school girls coming back, and we're back, and we get off the bus, and they meet their parents, and, and the parents are like, hey, how was how camp? And they're like, great, our youth pastor mooned us. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, oh my goodness, like I'm going to get fired my first trip. And, and so I make the split-second decision, forget this, I'm going back in the water. So I just, no, and I drop down, tie, tie the tie on tighter, and, and, and I'm like, all right, now I'm ready to go. And he pulls me up, and, and we make it through. And being in youth ministry, life was full of adventures like that. Like stuff just kept happening. And some people looked at it and said, man, it was, it was always crazy, and there's always this, this and, and that's just part of being part of youth culture. But here's the deal, I wouldn't have traded it for the world. See, and I'm not, being, I'm not trying to be critical of other churches, but, but when you're part of a church, and I saw this, some of the stuff that I saw, when you're part of a church that relegates student ministry and relegates children's ministry and say that stuff really doesn't matter, what's happening here, here's what's essential. We're missing a big portion of, of Jesus' teaching. See, Jesus comes for the outcast. Jesus comes for the alienated. And the scripture we're about to look at in the Gospel of Luke Jesus comes for the children who in this day, they're, they're, they could be alienated, they could be ostracized because Jesus, what Jesus is doing is important. For 30 years of his life, we really don't know a whole lot about Jesus. He grew up just like we grew up and, and he dealt with some of the same stuff we dealt with. But at 30 years old, he begins this three and a half years of intense ministry. And he starts doing big things. He starts raising people from the dead and healing people and, and having all these great teachings. And he has this group of disciples around him. And, and to a certain extent, because the crowds, as he goes on throughout his years of ministry, the crowds are getting bigger and bigger. Part of what they do is trying to figure out, okay, the logistics of having crowds and what do we do? And in this instance, we see Jesus being approached by families with young kids. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 18. 
And we're just going to read a couple of verses. It's verses that if you grew up in church, you're probably at least a little bit familiar with. But Luke 18, verse 15, it says this. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them, called, called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. See, the disciples were saying Jesus is important. He has a lot of stuff going on. And these families want to bring their children, and the disciples were saying, Wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, he's not a politician. He's not here to kiss babies. Let's keep the kids away. Let Jesus continue with his teachings. But Jesus rebukes the disciples and said, our kids matter. And so one of the big things we're going to talk about today is, is for us as a church, Ridgepoint Church, our children and our students, they're not the future of our church. They're the present of our church. They have value right now. Maybe you're here and you're saying, JJ, I don't even have kids. Uh, how is this applicable to me? There's, especially when we get to the big point today, I think there's something valuable for all of us to learn. Maybe you're past that point in life where we realize that as a church family, if this is valuable to God, and we're part of this church, and it's valuable to us. So Jesus here, he, he has the disciples. They, they rebuke the people around him, say, Jesus is important. And Jesus says, no, hold on a second. Let the kids come. Don't forbid them. For such is the kingdom of God. They have value. They have worth. Listen, right now, as we gather here, we have volunteers working back in the back, making sure your children are taken care of, making sure they're not just learning Bible stories, but they're learning how Bible stories at a young age can apply to their life. We believe, last week we talked about family groups. We believe as a church that family groups are so important that at our church, by the time kids are two years old, they're starting to go in kind of a modified group setting. But they're starting to learn about Jesus in such a way that we want it at a young age to start to become applicable. Because, and this is so crucial, for every one of us. We believe, like, like we only get kids for a couple of hours a week at the most. We believe this. The best way to produce kids that love Jesus is to produce moms and dads that love Jesus. Like that is so crucial. And so our goal is to try to, try to create an atmosphere. You see, so many people today are consumed with, I want to have a good kid. And, 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 we, and we grow up as parents and, and we're just kind of taught that mindset. And, and I heard this a couple of weeks ago. And this guy was speaking to a, a room full of people. And he said, we always are talking about our kids now. We want our kids to be good kids. He said, here's the outcome we're looking for. We're not looking for good kids. We're looking for kids who become good adults. As a church setting, we want to say we're not just looking for good kids or even kids who come good, become good adults. We're looking for kids who become adults that are passionately following Jesus. There's a difference between being good and being godly. And our goal as a church should be to try to partner with parents to raise children who become adults who are passionately pursuing Jesus. Years ago, I had a chance to hang out with one of my best friends. I think he's the best youth pastor in the state. Just an awesome guy doing awesome work. And he was writing a paper for, his, for one of his master's level classes. And he called me up, and we hung out a lot. He called me up one day, and he said, JJ, um, what for us is the definition of success in ministry? Like in student ministry, what is the definition of success? And I said, it's easy. It's not if we get kids excited about Jesus today because on some level that's pretty easy to do because we get kids together and we can build up momentum, we can build up excitement, but it doesn't last very long. Our definition of, definition of success is that if five years from now and ten years from now those students are still passionately following Jesus, then we've done something right. 
as a youth pastor for 14 years, this became a big deal to me. Some people wondered how that was. How could you do that? When I started to see middle schoolers and high schoolers start to get it, start to get plugged in, start to realize that for, for a child, they're not the future of the church. They are the future of the church, don't get me wrong, but they're not just the future of the church, but that right now they have value, they have worth. That's why our volunteers right now are there with your children, making sure they're, they're safe and making sure they're learning and growing because they have value right now. Not only do they have value right now, but we also think that as students and as, as children, we can raise the bar when it comes to them, especially when it comes to student ministry. Uh, we can raise the bar to a, to a high level. See, I, I'm a firm believer, having been part of student culture for a long time, I'm a firm believer that if you set the bar low, students are going to reach what, you, what the expectations are. But if you set the bar high, students are also going to meet those expectations. One of my professors years ago, he wrote a, a book called Raising the Bar. And it was all about youth culture and, and kind of what the expectation is there for students. And he said, it's crazy how we can have children as young as 14 or 15 years old compete on an international level at the Olympics. We can see young men and young women go and join our armed forces and they're flying, flying multi-million dollar jets at 18 or 19 years old. And yet a lot of times those same students come into church and we want to hold them back and say, you're not ready for this yet. And we set the bar low and they meet that expectation. But if we start to set that bar high, if we start to say we can have a higher expectation. See, we read all the time these articles in the paper about kids that are struggling and some teenager got in trouble and got arrested and did this and did that. And, and, and we kind of throw up our hands and say, what do you expect? They're only a teenager. Well, I want to look at a couple of different uh, sections of Scripture real quick. And then I'm actually going to do something different. Where I'm going to invite our, our children's director and our, and our youth pastor to come on up. And we're going to ask them a couple of questions specifically about what's happening in their area. But I want to look at a couple of, of verses of Scripture real quick. The first one is in 1 Timothy. For any youth pastor, this is the, wall, this is the verse that could be on the wall of every student ministry in, in the world, really. 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Paul here, the Apostle Paul, is writing to a young pastor named Timothy. And he says, Timothy, stop letting age be an excuse. Actually, at a young age, you can set the example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. See, I saw this over and over. I saw this over and over where a student at a young age would start to get a picture of what it meant to follow Jesus, and they would start to lead, and eventually their family caught on to what was happening, and their family responded because a child led them. The scripture is full of examples like this. Paul writing to a young pastor. There's another section we're going to put up right now in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a young prophet. He's being called to be a prophet. And watch Jeremiah's response. Jeremiah 1.6 says, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. Jeremiah's being called to be a prophet, to be God's mouthpiece. And his response is to say, God, how can I do this? I'm only a youth. But God's response is this. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. You see, when we take our students and we take our children and we say, we set the bar real low, after all, they're just youth. That's the excuse Jeremiah was trying to give. I'm just a youth. But when we set the bar high and say we have a high expectation. A couple of weeks ago, we had a chance to travel to the Dominican Republic. And we had a chance to work running a, a, a sports camp for kids in the DR. And it was, it was run mostly by students and, and, and youth leaders. 
and to see the way they responded, the way they stepped up in a situation where it was ever-changing, it was ever-evolving, wasn't quite what we expected going in. There were more kids, and we weren't ready for all that. The kids, the students that we had going with us were ready to adapt and to change and not complain about any of it. Set the bar high. So how do we do that? Well, one of the ways, if we're going to be true to that main idea, the big idea today being that the best way to produce children that follow Jesus is to produce moms and dads that follow Jesus. We have strategically decided some time ago that there are some churches that do a great job. They do a bang-up job with children's ministry on Wednesday night, and, and that's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's what we started to see is that we can get so busy in church we can have church on Sunday morning and church on Sunday night and Monday night's visitation and, and Wednesday night you have church again, you have Bible study and you have children's ministry and all the stuff that's going on and then Thursday night you got band practice or choir practice and Friday night we have this event going on. Before you know it, you're out Sunday night and Monday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night and Friday night and then pastors get up and say, we're not spending enough time with our kids. And the parents are saying, of course we're not. We're at church all the time. So we think the best thing that we can do is to be able to help you out in the process. When it comes to our children, we don't have a Wednesday night environment because we want as much as possible to, to send them out with a challenge. Say, so here's, here's how to go and apply that. Here's the way you can talk about this with your families and give you the tools you need because the best way, we only get the kids for a couple hours a week, but you're spending 30 or 40 hours a week with your children. So the best way for us to produce children that are going to follow Jesus is to produce moms and dads who are currently following Jesus. Now, the student ministry, it's a little bit different because um, for the most part, most of the students who come here on a Wednesday night, and Joshua's going to speak to this in a second, but most of the students that come here on a Wednesday night are coming from families who don't go to church. It's part of the culture of what we do as a church is to reach people that typically don't go to church. And so a lot of the kids that come on Wednesday nights that are middle schoolers and high schoolers are getting dropped off by their parents or they're getting picked up by parents of, of, of friends that are coming to youth group or Josh is picking them up and they're coming to be part of this culture. I heard this years ago, and as a youth pastor, I always want to be able to share this with, with parents. The youth pastor should primarily be a youth pastor for the kids whose families don't go to church. You should be the youth pastor for your kids. You should be the primary spiritual influence in their life, and Joshua's responsibility should be to partner with you as parents to help you out in that process. Because even on a good week in youth, they have a lot of events and stuff that's going on, but they're here for three or four hours a week at the most. But you have a chance to make a difference. And so our goal has to be as a church to equip you as best we can, to give you all the tools and resources, and to partner with you. Because our goal collectively is to see our children, our students, to say they have value right now. And we want to see them one day be adults who are radically and passionately following Jesus. So I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to ask Ashley and Joshua to join me up on stage. We're going to ask them a couple of questions real quick. And we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, for those who don't know it, Joshua Drolshagen's coming up here on your left, my right. He is our, our youth pastor. And Ashley Helms also coming on up here when she gets her microphone, works with our children's ministry and um, a lot of other things to do as well. But we just want to talk about this one uh, specific area for both of you. As most of you know, the last couple of weeks we've made some big changes here in the auditorium. But it hasn't just been here. There's actually, if you had a chance to get kind of a tour backstage uh, with our children's area. There's been a lot of changes that happened back there. Uh, Ashley's going to have some pictures, but also why don't you tell us about some of those changes that took place. All right. Um, in the past, our elementary kids would meet upstairs. So what we've done is we've moved them downstairs and moved some of our staff offices and our volunteer green room upstairs. Um, that's what you're seeing there is the new green room, which is now located upstairs. Um, 
and then um, that just created a lot more space for classrooms for us to split the groups up even more for small groups and then it also just helped to increase the security area for the kids that right there is the elementary large group room that's where they do their worship and their Bible story that is the double service room there's another picture there we'll explain a little bit what double service means and then the next picture is going to be the preschool large group room. That's where they meet together to do their Bible story and their worship songs. And then the play area for the toddlers. Um, they all play there. It's just kind of free play at the beginning and the end of the service, um, somewhere for them to go. And, and then whenever it's time for their stories, that's when they split up into their age-appropriate class. All right, and, and with some of those changes, and, and I know we had a lot of volunteers that, that got plugged in and helped out with a lot of changes in painting and all that stuff. Yeah. What was the response, especially from the leaders that are back there on a week-to-week basis? What was their response? Yeah, they were really excited. I myself was very excited just because painting is great. We did a lot of painting and reorganizing furniture, toys, and that sort of thing. But it also helped to make the flow of the service much easier. Everything the teachers need for their specific class is right there for them. Um, so just splitting that up and making it easier for them helped to increase the excitement. And then even for the kids, they were way, you know, excited. The ones, especially the regulars that are here week in and week out, just to see something different and um, just to see even the different um, decorations for the series that we're doing. That just helped to really excite them to be here. Speaking of which, while we made that change, we also changed curriculum that started off last week as well. Uh, what was that all about? Yeah, we changed our curriculum. This is only week two, and even though it's only week two, the kids are so into it. It's really great. All of the series will be anywhere from six to ten weeks long, which is awesome because then we can decorate per series. It's almost like mini vacation Bible schools for them. Um, but they each start out elementaries on one side, preschools on the other. They start out with their Bible stories, their worship videos, and then that's when they break up into the small groups that JJ was talking about earlier. Um, so, you know, you might have your twos and three-year-olds, your four and five-year-olds, and then the older kids we do per grade, kindergarten through second, third through fifth, and that sort of thing. And their review questions and their Bible stories are age-appropriate. It, you know, reaches down on their level. And then they also will do crafts and things um, that have to go with it. And then we actually um, created a, what we call RPC Kids Take It Home. And on the front side, it has the main idea of today's lesson, as well as their memory verse um, and what week we're in. And then on the back side, it has a go and show. And that's their application for the week, their challenge. So it's something that the parents can do with them. You know, whatever they learned about, whether it's sharing, obeying, leadership, whatever the case may be, then they can take what they learned that day and apply it. If they return the following week and can share that with their teacher or the class, um, then they get to pull from the treasure box. So the kids are definitely excited about that. And I told the first service, and it's the same for the second, there's a bunch of kids that get to pull from the treasure box today, so checkout might be a little crazy or a little slow, so just bear with us. All right. Very cool. And it's awesome to have the number of people serving and the chances we have to ha kind of have this new, fresh vitality mm -hmm. there. I know one of the needs that's always kind of prevalent in children's ministry and student ministry is the need to have volunteers. One of the things that kind of holds people back sometimes, they have kids already there, and mm -hmm. they're here in the service, and what happens if they're there for two services? You mentioned kind of the second service thing, but talk yeah. a little bit about that. The double service room that you saw, I know it's hard. People tend to shy away from volunteering in the kids' areas if they have kids because then that would mean that their kids would be here for two services. And it is rough. I know I have two kids of my own, and it is rough for them to be here, you know, for a couple hours every Sunday. But what we do is we create a room so that when they're finished with their lesson in the first service, they have somewhere to go during second service where they're not doing the same lesson. And it's basically just like open time, free time. It's not very structured. There's games, um, princess dress-up, movies, 
a bunch of stuff that they can do, coloring. Um, so just think that over if you are considering working with the kids area, there is somewhere for your child to go um, so that they're not stuck in the same class. But we're all very, very excited with the way the classroom layouts are and the new curriculum and everything like that. It's just we definitely um, need more hands to implement it a little better. And if, you know, the more people we have, the less they would be on the rotation. And so that would mean that your child necessarily wouldn't be here every week or every other week, but maybe just once a month. So if you're looking to possibly get plugged into that, uh, you can either come talk to Ashley after the service or email her at any time, Ashley at ridgepointchurch.org. One of the things we talk about is the role that you play as, as parents and being the primary spiritual influence in your kids' lives. Uh, one of the things we do every, uh, normally twice a year is we have a child dedication, infant or child dedication, where we actually, we believe it's a big part of our culture. We don't do infant baptism. Some churches do. We think that baptism happens after salvation. But parents want a, a way to dedicate their child to God. And so we do a dedication twice a year on a Sunday night. We bring people, you bring families in. And we just have this special dedication service. One's coming up in October. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, we're going to offer one October 20th. We'll get more specific time and all that up to you in the next few weeks. But um, I definitely want to highlight that it is a child dedication. So all ages are welcome. Um, most ch churches tend to do baby or infant dedication, but we understand that a lot of church or a lot of families in the church, you know, maybe have come when their children were older, or maybe you're just new to the area and you never got that opportunity to dedicate your child when they were an infant. So, child or the age is not anything that you know would hold them back from participating. But that's going to be October 20th, um, and we do try to keep the ceremony somewhat short and sweet because we understand that kids don't sit well through long ceremonies like that but if the October date is not good for you we are going to try to do twice a year so there will be another one in the spring all right thank you Ashley Josh how you doing buddy doing well how are you doing well doing well I know that you're relatively new to Ridgepoint and so I want to talk at the beginning tell us a little bit about your first kind of impression what happened our, our youth ministry is called merge so talk about the first impression what you saw there I would say that there were two things that stuck out to me um, when I first got here when I was first kind of just checking out Merge and Ridgepoint. Um, the first thing was probably the diversity of the group. I've been to a lot of different youth groups in the uh, Winter Haven, Polk County area, and they all seem to be the same kind of kids. Like one youth group would be all the preppy kids over here, and this would be all the sports kids at this youth group. Um, but one thing about Merge is just that the group is so diverse. And I guess the other thing that I recognize about Merge is the fact that Merge is a central focus of Ridgepoint. Um, there's a lot of churches where they'll say, like JJ said earlier, you know, our youth are important here. And then I was like, okay, now go hide. Run away. We don't want to see you anymore. Um, and it's not like that here, so that's mm -hmm. what stuck out to me. Very cool. As you kind of got your feet wet and kind of figured out where you're at, what would you say, you got a couple months in this now, what's your primary objective now moving forward? Um, my primary, primary objective has to do a lot with what we talked about last week, just the idea that we need community, and that's the same for youth and for children. Um, so my objective right now is to actually get our groups rolling on Wednesday nights. Um, and what that would be is basically the last 30 minutes of our Wednesday night, we'd separate into groups by age um, and just kind of reflect on what we learned and talked about for the message. But that's my focus right now. Sure. And I know we have a lot of people come to church on Sunday. They don't even know what happens on Wednesday night in the environment we have set up for a youth group. Uh, if a student had never been to youth group before, what can they expect on a Wednesday night? Um, very similar to what we do here at church. Um, just a little bit different, and we do a little bit more fun things. Um, but we start on at oh, – no offense, sorry. <laughs> We're cooler, whatever. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we actually don't start till 7, but students are welcome to start showing up around 5.15 or 5.30. Um, Christina does a great job cooking food and snacks and giving out drinks and all that kind of stuff there. But we also have music playing, and they're welcome to come and play Wii or play sports or just hang out. 
Um, so they can start showing up around 5.15, 5.30 until 7. Um, we start at 7, and we start with worship, just like here. Um, after worship, we play a game where they either have to do something crazy or eat something crazy or watch somebody else eat something crazy, um, something fun. And then we uh, continue with some more worship, and then we go into our messages. And um, the messages are similar to here. Um, we do sermon series that have a common theme, and everything is life applicable. Um, my goal every week is for them to be able to have something to take home, um, similar to what Ashley was saying about the children. Sure. I know one of the big ways, especially when you get students in middle school or high school, is they love the extracurricular events that, that, that take place. Uh, I know in youth ministry, it's a big deal. What are some things you guys have coming up? A um, few upcoming events. The end of September, and I'll have a date ready for next week, but um, probably the second to last Saturday in September, we're going to have a movie night here. Um, where we're probably just going to watch Disney movies and have pizza and popcorn and soda and that kind of thing and just hang out. Um, then the 19th of October, we have a paintball slash lake day coming up. So the morning will be paintball, and then the afternoon will be jet skis and tubing and free food. Um, so that would be good. And then um, we'll kind of take a break through the holidays. We'll still be doing our regular services and that kind of thing. And then um, the end of January, we have our winter retreat, which we've done every year. That's and then, deal. oh yeah, I forgot another one. Yes. Um, starting next Sunday, every Sunday morning from 10 to 10.20 over in the merge room, um, we'll have donuts and juice for students to hang out in between services. I know a lot of parents asking, you know, what, can we, what can our students do um, during the service if they're in sixth grade or older? Um, and we really want to start getting them in here. That way when they turn 18, they graduate high school, it's not like, what do I do now? This is awkward. They can come right here and be comfortable. Um, so what we're going to do starting next week is at 10 o'clock, they can meet over in the portable for donuts and juice, and then we'll all just come in here and hang out together. I think that's a big deal. As a youth pastor for years, I kept hearing the statistic that 90% of students that graduate from high school being plugged into youth group, 90% within the first couple of years of graduation uh, get unplugged from church. I think a lot of times that's because kids plug into youth group and they're not plugging into church. And so I think it's a really big idea that, that students get plugged in here. Starting in sixth grade, I think they can connect in this environment. I think it's good for them. Uh, but we want to be able to give them some time to hang out as well. So that'll happen starting next week on Sunday mornings. Anything else? What's, what's your biggest need right now when it comes to student ministry? Um, I would say my biggest need right now is just some more volunteers. JJ mentioned before that we do give a lot of our students rides because their parents don't go to church. Or some of their parents don't even know that they're coming here on Wednesday nights and we just go pick them up from their house. Um, so just help with rides would be awesome. Um, one thing that we talked about a few weeks back was the idea of having guests and not visitors. And that we want to, um, when people come in, we want, to know, want them to know that we were expecting them. Um, and I think the more adults that we have um, on a Wednesday night at Merge would just show when kids come that they are welcome here and that we're ready for them and that we're ready to take them in and separate them and put them into groups with adults and that kind of thing. Definitely. Thank you, Josh. As we're ready to wrap this thing up, I just want to say this. Uh, throughout this whole thing, we've talked about this idea that our, our goal is to produce students who can set the example for the adults, who can uh, eventually become adults that are radically following Jesus. That, that first year, as I got to know that kid that was on the boat next to me, his name, again, was, was Shay. Shay was sixth grader. He was excited. He was ambitious. Like, he was really, really, like, full of, full of energy all the time. I didn't know that, but that year, later on, his parents came back, and they said, J.J., you don't know, but that year we were struggling with being connected in church. They'd, they'd gone to church for a while. And they just got to a spot in their life where they were disconnected and they weren't, weren't really involved. And it became very easy for them to say, oh, we're not going to go to church this Sunday. We're just going to sleep in. Except for their son would come every Sunday morning. It would come and wake them up and say, Mom, Dad, aren't we going to church? And we had Sunday school. Mom, Dad, aren't we going to Sunday school? I want to get to Sunday school. A couple of years later, those, those parents got really, really plugged in and eventually became youth leaders. And they became rock stars as youth leaders. And, and years later, they said, J.J., had it not been for our son, we wouldn't be where we are today. 
So many times our students, our children can lead us. That's why right now they have value. That's why right now they have worth. That's why we do this. If you have any questions, specific questions, come talk to Ashley. Come talk to Joshua about those areas. If you know some people get plugged in, bringing kids, bringing students, getting plugged in, serving, talk to them about that. We'd love for them to be a part of it. We think this is a big part of what we're trying to do, and we want to see as many people realize that it's possible. Let's pray.